Welcome back to the third in this series of daily devotionals in the Psalms, where we're sampling the first book of the five within the book of Psalms. The the book of Psalms, or the Psalter as it's traditionally known, is arranged in various collections and groups. But the largest of these divisions are five books, which, like the movements of a grand symphony, display a kind of thematic development as we work our way through them. As we focus on Psalm 5 today, we'll see many of the characteristics of those which are collected in the first book of the Psalter. This is an intensely personal psalm, one person crying out to God for help in the face of a crisis. It's written in the first person. Who is that person? Well, the superscript, that short introduction that many of the psalms have before the first verse, tells us that this psalm is of David. He's the author or possibly the psalm is written from his perspective and placed on his lips. It's worth noting that these superscripts are not made up by the publishers of our modern Bibles. Of the 150 psalms, 116 of them have these superscripts, and they are part of the canonical text. So they're worthy of our careful attention, even if some of the terms are a little obscure. At the very least, they remind us that we are reading an ancient piece of literature, a a, a literature, a songbook, a a prayer book, really, preserved faithfully over the millennia. So Psalm 5 is of David, and it's for the director of music for pipes. Obviously, some musical directions are involved here for the public use of this psalm. We don't know the tune, but we notice that this very personal psalm has been adapted for public use in the temple, played on certain kinds of instruments. And just as many songs are carefully structured with verses or choruses, this psalm seems to have five stanzas or units that are arranged in a pattern which looks a little bit like a pyramid or an X shape. Uh, Here's on the screen my my take on what that looks like in Psalm 5. The fancy name for this is a chiastic structure where the first unit matches or balances the last unit, the second unit balances the second to last unit, and so on into the center, which has a uniqueness to it, which makes it the turning point, the most significant part. So let's have a look at how that plays out in Psalm 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. So this is an urgent plea for God's help. Uh, Three words there build one upon the other, urging God to listen, to consider, and to hear David's cry for help. Uh, You'll notice too, verse 2, King David refers to the Lord Yahweh as his king and his God. King David has a king. In fact, God is always truly Israel's king. Human kings are merely his representatives. They come and they go, while God is always king. And David's stance as he brings his request to God is to wait expectantly. He's not passive, but he's full of faith and active anticipation. And waiting for an answer to prayer requires this kind of intentional dependency. And so we see how this intensely personal prayer has a wider public purpose, which teaches us to pray. It seems to me the whole book of Psalms is like a set of trainer wheels on a child's bicycle where we're given prayers and songs to teach us how to pray and sing. We're to learn by doing. The Psalms act as templates worthy of copying while also inviting us to go beyond them. 
So what we want to do is re replicate David's stance of active dependency in this psalm. The second stanza of Psalm 5 gives us a window into David's context. We learn why he's crying out for help. Verse 4, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. And the precise cause of David's urgent prayer is not important for us here. And it's clear that the wicked are somehow involved as the source of his anguish. David prays for help in the face of arrogance, wrongdoing and lies. The language of hate here kind of surprises us, as in God hates all who do wrong. He destroys and he detests the wicked. Uh, it's possible we could be looking at some poetic license here, but I think it's more logical to say this is the outworking of God's love. You see, God's justice is not dispassionate. Just as God loves ardently, so he must also hate evil with similar zeal. These are more than relative terms of preference. God's love reflects his character and his purpose and his will. He loves the good. Likewise, the other side of that coin is hatred for all that violates or destroys or opposes his will. And David comforts himself in this truth as he draws near to God in the third stanza, the middle one of Psalm 5. But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. As I said, in the chiastic structure of the psalm, this is the turning point, the top of the pyramid. It doesn't have an echo elsewhere in the psalm, and so it stands tall, requiring our particular attention. In the face of assaults from the wicked, David draws near to God. He finds his solace in the house of God, the tabernacle or the temple, the place of God's presence. And we note carefully that he does not enter into God's presence on his own merits but only by God's great love. For the Christian, this open access and welcome into company with God is explicitly founded on the work of Jesus Christ. This idea of free access into the presence of God the King is echoed by Paul in the beginning of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. So we, we have great confidence in our approach to God. We come to him confidently because of his loving grace demonstrated in the Lord Jesus. Now, this idea of gracious access is the pinnacle of the psalm. In the face of evil, we turn to God for protection and for justice, and we have direct access with him for this. The fourth stanza of the psalm echoes that second unit, uncovering the true nature of the wicked. Now, for some reason, the NIV translation does not begin verse 9 with the word for, indicating, no, here's an explanation. Uh, but it does, uh, and it matches the first word in verse 4. For some reason, it's not there. But for not a word from their mouth can be trusted, the evil. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. 
Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. While the wicked have in some way hurt David such that he'd pray this psalm, notice that ultimately the wicked have rebelled against God. David's got this perspective really clear. His, his specific request is that God would do justice, that is, declare them guilty and banish them away from his presence. These prayers of imprecation, calling upon God to do justice, are not unusual in the Psalms. Sometimes they're deeply intense and impassioned, but they always leave the execution of justice up to God. Uh, employing the wisdom, I think, of Proverbs 20, verse 22, which says, Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. And so this psalm closes with the final stanza, which mirrors the first. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as with a shield. As David has come to God with his urgent plea for help, he prays protection and blessing for all who seek their refuge in God. So Psalm 5, typical of so many psalms in Book 1 of the Psalter, is a prayer seeking God's help and protection in the face of evil. God is shown to be a place of safety, a rock and a refuge against the assaults of the wicked. Drawing near to him in humble dependence is the safest of all places. And I want to encourage us to do that right now in our own prayers.